Hey there. Welcome to Self-Release Songs. My name is David Garrick. Since independent labels have been in existence, the one thing they have in common with bands who remain independent and without a label is vinyl. Vinyl fuels the independent artists of the world just like it fuels sales figures for the independent label system. If an unsigned band can afford to, they should look into repackaging vinyl as much and as often as possible. Different covers, additional material and color variants, as well as remastered editions are all great ways to earn extra money. While few independent artists can afford to do this, it's something that can really go a long way. Looking around, there's a band I've been a fan of for a long time, Austin's The Sour Notes. Their energized indie rock sound is right there with legacy acts like Superchunk and Husker Du is some of the best I've heard in a while. Now with their seventh album on the way, the band is doing something revolutionary for its release. By offering the album up as seven-inch singles, they keep music in people's heads while having a chance to repackage the album as a full length as well. We sat down and spoke to Jared and Amara from the band about how they write songs, their 11 years together, and what made them decide to release their new album this way. As a special bonus, producer and engineer Steve Christensen was on hand as well to discuss working with the band on all of their music. In this episode, the first voice you'll hear outside of my own is guitarist Jared Bollinger. The female voice is Amara Ulgani, and the other male voice is Steve Christensen. And now, here's the Sour Notes. Uh, you guys have been around a while. How did y'all, how did the band start, and what was kind of the goal when you began? Well, I kind of started the band in Houston um, just as a bedroom project. And I recorded the first EP and then moved to Austin uh, before I ever released it. And then uh, Steve mixed it and uh, it was mastered by uh, Joe Laporta. And uh, those two have mastered, I think, all 80 of our songs since then. And mixed. And mixed. Mixed, mixed and mastered. And um, yeah, same with you guys finishing finishing them up. And um, yeah, after the EP was done, I was like, well, I kind of want to have a release show. So I uh, put together a band in Austin. We played our first show at a movie theater, released it, and then we played our second show here back in Houston at the Mink. So uh, yeah, that's how the band started. And then I think eight shows in, we went on tour and kind of just kept going from there. And it's been 11 years since then. I guess it is 11 years. I yeah. For some reason, I thought it was 8, but I guess it has been 11. It's been 11. I am very keen on keeping the band statistics. If you go to our website, <laughs> we, have a sh- we have a listing of every single show we played, every single band we played with. Our next show is number 490. Jesus. That's yeah, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've done six records. They're all indie rock records. Um, even the covers album has that kind of, it's a little bit different. Um, is there a release you look back on and go, oh, I wish we hadn't done that? No, uh, I feel like um, me, myself, as well as the band had grown with every record, you know, and I've, you know, become more confident as a songwriter and, you know, I'm trying to just push the boundary each time. Sure. So, um, you know, I'm trying to get louder with every release as opposed to, especially with age, I feel like, um, you know, I don't like 
maybe I don't like looking at the artists who get quieter as they age. Sure. You know, yeah, that's I, I definitely don't want to, you know, be a fifty-year-old folk artist. You know, I yeah. want to get louder and louder until I just explode and die. You know. <laughs> but that's fair. I feel like, uh, you know, yeah, that's like you know how 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 I look at you know advanced progress. I guess we definitely regret. Uh, we've definitely had something, a couple of things, releases remixed. So, yeah. But yeah. that's part of the learning process, too. Because yeah. those were times when Steve was really busy and we're like, oh, it doesn't matter. And then we're like, oh, this is a terrible idea. We should never work with anyone else ever again. Right. Yeah. And then, yes, yeah, Steve remixed that record and mm-hmm. that was Last Look. Yeah. And that was, it was one of when the... we were younger and, and way too eager. Yeah. Yeah, to definitely. get things done and now we're just kind of like let's just make sure everything's done on our time and right the way we want it to without rushing into things with yeah but I working think, like, with the right people and all that stuff i would say that like our most recent material that we've been recording and uh mixing and mastering with steve and joe is the stuff that i'm most proud of and it's a three-piece band on most of the records that are coming out in the last couple of years. We've had the same, you know, consistency there as far as the recording process and the people involved. And uh, I feel like we haven't have found our sound until like the last couple of years really. And that's why, uh, you know, the records are a little bit more focused. They're mostly just guitar, bass, and drums. Whereas in the past, they've been like strings, synthesizers, male and female harmonies all over the right. place. 40 tracks. On 40 track. tracks sometimes on a session, mm-hmm. whereas I think the tracks I gave Steve today were 16 tracks. Yeah. Not too bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and do y'all write together, or is it one person writing it, or is y'all write as a band, or? Usually Jared, write, he writes um, the song. I mean, always he's always written the songs, and, and like, we come in, Jeremy comes in with the drums, but Jared already has an idea, usually a, electronic drum track that they kind of work together to bring a life and then we just a um, multi-track like that but next month we're going to be recording with steve live for the first time oh that's cool yeah he's got a tape machine too so. yeah yes i heard about this tape machine yeah <laughs> someone there was a he put a photo of it on instagram and there was like a comment like y'all are wild i think it was from dan yeah but i was like I, I think that makes sense for you to have. Yeah. Especially the artists you're recording with. Uh-huh. I mean. Yeah. Well, maybe wild and how much of a crazy... Pain, pain <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to explain to someone, like, oh, I know how to cut tape. And they're like, oh, you would do it again? I was like, no, no. No, no that's what Pro Tools is for. There's a, on the Tascam, you can get this plug-in, or you get this little component for it that feeds it straight to your computer and... Once I knew that existed, I'd never cut another piece of tape ever again. Yeah, um, I think that's what we're most excited about, uh, you know, in the band's current incarnations is coming down, coming back to Houston, you know, in April and recording as a three-piece live in the studio with Steve. Yeah. Whereas, you know, we're usually, you know, recording in Austin and sending the tracks to Steve uh, or hand-delivering them and then mixing them as we go over a weekend and... Yeah, and for you wanting to be getting louder and louder, like, you're currently doing it as a layer cake thing, and it'll be fun to do something different where it's a live, captured live performance. Yeah, definitely. As opposed to, like, the sort of one instrument at a time. Yeah, I think we got the idea to do that 
uh, I don't know why we didn't think about it before, honestly, you know, but at the last show we played with Alago um, downtown here in Houston, Steve was like, you should just come down and record with me because you guys sound real tough as a three-piece. And, you know, that's just clicked, and that's definitely what we're going for is the tough, you know, three-piece rock band thing right now. But, I mean, that's... That comes with time. You can't do that in the early years. Yeah. You know? That's true. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, learning the learning curve, especially, and, you know, the confidence thing. And, and working together. and Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's why I say that I feel like we haven't found our sound until recently. Because yeah. we've been sticking to the three-piece thing for, like, the last four, five years. Three? Four? Three or four years. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just, you know, I like the dynamic, I like the space, and I like, you know, the noise that we can create as a three-piece. There's an angularity to the music, but it's still straightforward, which is different than most, most indie rock bands, it's kind of like, here it is. But there's a little bit of an edge to it that you don't really hear in most, I don't know, it's strange, because like, I'll, I'll hear melody in a lot of music, but I'm like, oh, well that feels like someone forced that in there. But y'all don't really have that. It's more. It feels more natural. So I would think it makes more sense to record live. Yeah, and I think it maybe it sounds natural to you because you know we've just been slowly developing this whole time naturally. I guess you know the the earlier catalog of our work is goes from bedroom stuff to like synthesizer stuff to strings and horn sections. You know and more acoustic-y stuff. And, you know, now we're in the full-on electrified phase, I think, of the band with electric guitars, and which we've always had, but it's just, you know, that's the focus now, I think. And more of a comfort level with the tools and stuff. Right, yeah, we haven't changed our gear in a long time, which has been a problem in the past. We have flipped gear, gotten bored with it, you know, bought and sold things constantly, but we've had the same gear for a little while now, and when you start <laughs> and you're younger and someone says well this is how much it's going to make a record it costs to make a record a lot of bands are like well we'll record live and overdub and then some bands like I know you did a logo they did that but it was like little overdub right like Jared's stuff was overdub but most of it was live just doubling a melody here and there yeah it's all, it was all live I mean but you have to be on that level for it to be done right you know I could some bands are like we're going to record in pieces and then I go see them live, I go, yeah, that's probably a good idea. You know, you don't mean that rude. It's just like, they're, I don't know how they're going to get oh, to Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's like really one of the reasons we haven't done it until now is just because we haven't been able to play together with this stability for this long to the point where we feel comfortable with going into taking Steve's time up and, you know, trusting him, letting him trust us with that. You know, because there's just been a lot of lineup changes and trying to translate what we have as ideas of songs live is a different thing. We can't get everyone in the same and then practice them over and over, which is a lot easier when there's only three people involved. Yeah, when there's three people involved, I usually, you know, write an acoustic guitar song to a drum machine, send it to Amara and Jeremy, our drummer. Jeremy comes up with the drums, Amara comes up with the bass, and then, you know, we bring that those three ideas to practice, and that's how. You know, that's exactly what you said. It's just about like how many times can you play it together for you know like most if you can't do it then do it that often and it's just not going to come through 
on a recording at all. Yeah. It, it is strange because y'all's band name has been around a while. I had friends, uh, Mike Boer, y'all remember Boer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like, oh, I played play this band, I can't believe you've never heard of them. Mm-hmm. I was like, dude, do you know how many bands come out a year? I don't know every band, you know? And there's bands where, like, occasionally I'll write about them, y'all, blushing, where I'll look at, like, a comment on whatever social media, and it's like, they're from Austin? And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, sorry, you don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like, and even yes. Steve, who lives here, and he records bands from Austin, and they're big bands, and we're like, I've never heard of this band, because there's just so many bands that, are like, have there's so many scenes, and here and there, and, like, there's just so many people making music, now there's no way to keep track of who's who. Yeah. And if you're, unless you're like, even people like you who are constantly out, there's just no way to keep up. Yeah, there's no way to. I you like in 2008, if I said something like, "Yeah, this band is like, I don't know, Fugazi," and somebody said, "I don't know who Fugazi is," I would immediately say, "Well, how old are you?" <laughs> like I'm 18. I was like, "Well, that makes sense." But if they're like 27, you're like. Well, how do you not know who that is? But now I'm like, whatever. Music moves so damn fast. I don't know how you keep up with everybody. And at the end of every year, we collaboratively write these are the fifty, and we say favorite because calling something best to be as ostentatious. Like it's all in the listener. But fifty favorite records that year, and that fucking thing will come out, and literally like two weeks later, I'll find a record, and I'm like, oh, well, how did I not know about this? You know, I mean. And, even like Clinic from like the UK, mm-hmm. a band I love. I didn't even know they put out a record, mm-hmm. you know? And it's just kind of, it's on marketing. It all comes down to are they touring here or not? So mm-hmm. the first time that happened, I just hit up every PR firm outside the US and said, I don't care, send it to me, you know? Because you want to consume as much as you can when you write about it. But even then, there's stuff I miss all the time. There's a band called Just Mustard, I think they're from Scotland. And I fell upon them looking for a photo for a band, you know? I was like, damn, I wish I knew about it. But that's what the last month of the year is for us. It's like, okay, here's everything we missed, basically. You know, it can be stuff from February. It's, it's good. We cover it. So this new record is going to be seven inches. It's all seven inches. All seven inches. We've uh, released three of the seven inches so far. We mixed uh, the fourth one today with Steve, and we're mixing it again tomorrow. And... Um, so that's tracks seven and eight, and then we'll do one more live with Steve in April, and that will be the album, 10 songs. And uh, yeah. Are y'all gonna reissue them all on one vinyl, or are you gonna keep it digital, or? We're gonna reissue them all as an LP. Okay, and, cool. And uh, probably the seven inches that we have so far, those will just be a limited edition pressing. You know, if you get, if you get those at our shows, you know, you're lucky. That's cool. Yeah. And what made you decide to go that route? Is it just because it's something different? Is it the singles-driven thing, or is it... Well, it was actually Amara's idea, because... There was such a big time between releases that we're just right. kind of wanting to put out a lot of stuff without... It was just right. such a drag, you know, taking so long to, you know, work on a whole album's worth of songs, and... And so much would change between mm-hmm. recording an album if it took a year and a half. Right. You know, the band would change. Uh, our feelings about the songs would change. People's jobs would change. You would overthink things. And then by the time it yeah. comes out, you already have another set of songs that you would rather be playing right. instead of like thinking about those right. songs. You know, so it was just it just seemed like a, a good way to like really dig into playing as a three piece and, and getting a lot of 
music out there when there hadn't been it had been kind of a long time since we put out anything and also we we kind of like wanted to since there was such a long time between putting out stuff we kind of got attached to every single song and wanted to give it its own kind of like attention when we put it out yeah and there's like you know I think it's a it's a Stanley Kubrick like quote where he's you know prefers his working relationships to be really intense focus short periods of time of productivity and that kind of translates to the at least the way I feel about doing the seven inches because you really have time to just only think about two songs you make them best you can and you know you don't have to tie them into anything else they're they're their own thing and you move on to the next ones and it's just those songs are probably the best they can be because you only thought about those two at that time. I mean, it seems smart because now I get three or four songs or sometimes I think Terry Allen put out five before the record comes out. It's like, well, if there's only 10 songs, you've given half of it away for promotional materials. I think you get a lot more legs if you are putting them out, but then you're like, hey, you can also buy this thing physically. Because sure. to me, like, we plug it on the in the magazine, like you can download it you know you can buy it digitally but I'm like who the hell is doing that we all have that thing on our phone that we can pay 10 bucks a month and hear all the music we want why would you buy it you know yeah. digitally like this idea that there's people sitting around with digital libraries to be a silly like um, I have a lot of vinyls but the stuff I stream it's I say that like there's sometimes like I think that last this last Andy Schauf record the label sent it to me I didn't ask him for it but they sent it and I didn't open it forever because I'd been streaming it in the car. And it's like, now I'm glad they sent the vinyl. I would have bought it. The same with Orville Peck. There's a bunch of people that way where it's like, you know, I'll go to the shows and I'm like, well, I'll buy a record um, because I like the record that much. But that's kind of what physicals have become for me where it's like, you're buying what you like, you know? I know some people, it's like, I want to support the band, but I don't want a shirt, I'll buy a record, you know? Yeah, and it's great to be able to play these songs quicker live, you know? You you, you write them, you put, you lay them down in the studio, and then it's, you know, that band playing them the next time you're at the show, and it's like that immediate, you know, if you like what you just heard at the show, here's the record that you, you, you know, that we just recorded, you yeah. know, and it's us that you just saw. And it's funny because Steve made a record, and we're not going to say the artist's name, but I said, so the record was finished and I said he was walking out of the studio to smoke and I said so what now he said it won't come out for like a year but I'll have to tour and then I'll have to tour like two years after that and I'll hate the song so much I'll never want to play them again you know yeah. and so I guess it kind of alleviates you of that like you can keep it in the catalog of live shows or not but you do have an immediacy there you record it you put it out you play it and then yeah I guess after the release show you can decide if you want to keep all those songs or not you know? definitely and it also you know sometimes when I look up at the dates and the timestamps of the demos that you know I'm giving to Amara and Jeremy to come up with other parts for some of the timestamps on these demos are like a year to two years old for the current material we're working on so they've already like been festering for quite a and while and the phone demos they came from are even older than that yeah you know? And I mean, we have a lot of songs already, and I have a hundred more that I plan on doing. And you know, those are 
going to take a lot of time to do, so it's better to just keep these seven inches coming. And out. especially in Austin, you're like under pressure to play like all the time. It's like starts to wear people out if you're playing the same set every for sure. a month, you yeah. know, and this way you give, I mean, it actually makes a difference in people wanting to see if what the new songs sound like. Yeah, yeah there's an year. album you made, and I like them, but I, I probably won't see them until they're ready to put out new material, because I'm like, okay, I've seen this set like 12 times now. I don't need to see it again, yeah. you know? I'm really excited when a band's like, we have new music, you know? It doesn't matter who they are, because you're like, wow, okay, cool. And it does keep it fresh, and yeah, you're right. If you're, you, know, you have to figure if you're playing in a city just three times a year, the odds of them seeing the same set three times are pretty high, you know? Yeah. So this is a good idea. I, I didn't even think of it that way. I thought maybe it was because, you know, everybody's like telling everybody, oh, you know, you got to do this singles-driven thing, you know, which is a bullshit term. It's mm -hmm. just more like, hey, keep putting stuff out. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how you do it. Yeah, I think there's no rules. Yeah. You, know, you can just put out an LP after all your singles are done. I mean, I yeah. totally understand. You're like, if a band's on a label and they need to, you know, get the return back from an album, it makes sense to go on tour for with it for like three years. But if you're not under that pressure, then why follow that model? Right. Yeah. I mean, y'all always been independent. Has there ever been a thought where you're like, or has there even been offered to go to a label and it just didn't? work out or is that just one of those things where you're like because I mean we were talking about beforehand you know like you go to a label they're your equity partner so they want to make back whatever they put into you and then whatever you make off of it is still not as much as if you own it yourself well yeah that, and like the way you're saying that makes totally complete sense but you know like we're talking about we don't you don't know that when you start being in a band sure. you're just like blindly finding out things as you go and it, at first it seems like a great idea you know someone's going to pay you put out your music and you realize it's not like that at all it's same thing as selling hamburgers at the end yeah. of the day and like it's or maybe you have to pay for half of them up front yeah and it's not even like you can just snap your fingers yeah. and get that to happen there's all these business negotiations that go into it and then at the end of the day you just you know it just depends on the type of person and what they want to do and what you're trying to get out of it and if you know that's people are able to do what they want to do and be happy more power than that's that's amazing but yeah. you know like you're saying like people who go on tour forever that's, that's not like necessarily everyone's you know end game and, and stuff yeah. and, right and as, as the industry has changed it's just become more and more apparent that that's becoming a, a worse and worse deal for people except in a very few rare situations so i don't know it doesn't seem like something to even process or think about because it ends up becoming like a limitation the more you think that that should be a, a goal you know right, what I mean yeah. I mean there's only so much time to do stuff and if what are you trying to do write songs or go on tour forever or yeah like, we're yeah. trying to make music tour when we can and you know as far as the label thing most of our music for the band's existence has been free online on SoundCloud or Bandcamp um, pay what you want, you know, yeah. for most of the band's existence, and, <clears throat> you know, you can, sure, you can buy it on iTunes or Spotify, or you can't buy it on Spotify, I don't know, I don't know, I don't have Spotify, but, you know, you can still buy it online, pay what you want, Sure, it is for free, you know, because our focus is to just get the music out there. Yeah. You know? No, it makes sense. I mean, so... Everything has gone through Steve here. Everything like it's every single song. I think we're up to eighty songs. We've recorded. It was only like six songs that we got mixed on tour once. 
not by Steve, and then we're like, we need to get And then we got remixed the remix by, by Steve, Steve because we were like, there's no one better that we know. And how did how did y'all come to work together? Was it accidental or High purpose? School. Or? Oh, well, Steve and I way. Steve and I go way back. We used to live together. Uh, on 1000 Heights Boulevard yeah. back in back <laughs> really? in the late, late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I got to I heard, see. I heard they were in a band together or something. We played music together. We were in a band that will remain nameless together. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Steve Blossom as an engineer from Sugar Hill to where he is now. And we've always had a shared, uh, you know, love for other bands. And One time Steve went on tour. Music. With us, yeah, we went to together once. Other band, yeah, with we John Griffin's band. band. Tour. That was fun. Sour Notes and Rose so Zero went fun. on tour together once. Yeah, Steve it's on the face. only tour I've ever been on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was a fun experience. But we were we were in a band together. The band broke up, and then Jared immediately recorded his first his first set of songs. Oh, okay, cool. And and then I mean, it was just like right afterwards, and then he hit me up to mix it. You know. Which made sense because we were living together, like when we were in the band. Yeah, so, yeah, and so and then so then just kind of gone from there. But there is this strange. He doesn't know this, but there is this mythos about him, about Steve here, because there's people that have asked me, and they're like outside of the U.S. or outside of Texas. They're like, "Hey, is that guy pretty cool? We we're thinking about." Maybe see if we can do a record with him, you know? I'm like, yeah, that guy's great. Don't I, tell you know, him that. Well, it's just, His well, I mean. calendar is going to get full. He is doing, a, he is doing, I would say, I would say Crumbin's the biggest man to come out of Houston since ZZ Top. I mean, yeah. nothing against Beyonce, but I mean, that's a big band to work with. And I know, and you know, that it wasn't, they weren't always a big band. In fact, that's basically the last year is really what they've kind of gotten bigger. But... You know, people ask, and you, because it is weird. We, I get these situations where people ask me whether it be locally. You know, I think I might have told you. I, I people, I want to make a pop record. I'm like, you should hit up John Allen Stevens. That, that's who I would a hundred percent recommend. Um, he has that ear, and he loves that kind of music. And yeah, even though he and I have a lot of conversations about rap, he really knows. Like, oh, this is where. You know this should go and this is how this should sound and but then there's people that want to make an indie rock record or more of like a folksy kind of thing and steve's name comes up and i'm like yeah you should totally and if you know when you want to do it you need to mm-hmm. hit him up now because yeah. he might not be available totally i hope that's the case you know i hope steve you know continues to have a busy schedule forever you know and i feel really lucky to have met steve early on and you know have that old friendship, you know, legacy to continue on. And also, you know, through Steve was the reason I got to meet Heather Cadry, who introduced me to Joe Laporta, who masters our stuff. So it's like... And she masters our other stuff. And she masters our other band memory keepers. So, uh, you know, our Houston early day ties are really what set my music in motion. For you know, it's fun to be a part of it, for just to see the arc of the band and stuff it's fun to be because you have other you have mammals or another band where you've done yeah, all just stuff. been there forever yeah yeah uh-huh I, no it's just, it is funny because when i know people i know them as i know them i don't know them as a mythos mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so when people don't know they think maybe there's something wrong they're like oh you know that guy we reached out to him never heard back and it's like well he's probably booked to the end of the year 
and they don't understand that because there's guys I know in Austin, all of which will remain, remain nameless, mm-hmm. all of which I think are great engineers and producers that will get back to them. But I'm like, I don't know how busy they are. Oh, I'm just terrible at emails. Yeah, but I know you're fan. always working on something too. Whereas some of these guys, I don't know, or they might have an assistant that does that. I mean, Steve Albini has an assistant. Forever, he had a guy named Steve, and you didn't know if you were talking to him or if you were talking to Albini yeah. on the phone. <laughs> it wasn't until I talked to Albini a couple times that I realized what his voice sounded like. So I was like, oh, it's other Steve. Hey, when can I talk to Steve? Because I was helping a band go record, and that guy's pretty. Yeah, come up this day. This is how long we'll take. And then that's it. There's no, you know, he's not chatty at all. So, but that's another guy where I had friends that were like, oh, and is he a jerk? I'm like, he's a super nice guy. You know, if you're staying in electrical audio, you're staying, I mean, he lives next door, you know, so they have quarters. And it, but it is funny because people put their perception on someone, whether they've never spoken to them or never met them. Mm-hmm. I mean, over the years, I've gotten to meet Tony Visconti the sweetest guy ever, but it is weird to know, oh my God, this guy is, has his finger on the bulk of Bowie's career, all the T-Rex, all the Mark Boland, a genius, you know, yeah. but he's got the ear for what he has the ear for. I don't know if you make any rock if you go make a record with him, you know? So over the years, when you get to know all these people, when people ask, you have a go-to name for them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what was cool about Sugar Hill when you were there, which it was like, Hey, if you want a legend, Andy Bradley's over there. And if you want a guy to make a really good rap record, there's Josh. If you want a guy that wants to make an indie rock record, there's you. And if you want somebody to make a guitar-based record, there's Dan. You know, like everybody kind of had their thing. It was cool when that existed. The, I don't know what they do now, but, you know. I mean, even that, because Steve, you've been doing this for like 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, even at Sugar Hill, you have, some, you have all the crazy stories of the different genres you have. Band, I actually got to work with and stuff and make cash money records and you, you'd go on tour with Destiny's Child doing sound and stuff. So that was an, another tour you went on. But even, you know, that, like, like you know, he was saying, having, a, being around all those different types of acts and acquiring techniques to work with them and how it filters through into the music you do now. Yeah. What does, I mean, I, there's a, Engineers and producers have an ear for what they have an ear for because, I mean, I don't know how much he wants to talk about this, but I know <laughs> that when you work in a studio and you're the youngest, I don't know when you were the youngest guy, but when you're the youngest guy, you take whatever walks in the door. Oh, yeah. And sometimes that you can find a gym and sometimes it's like the worst thing ever. You know, like, I know out at uh, the place in El Paso, the Pecan Farm, what's it called? Buxton Records there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, Sonic Ranch, Sonic Ranch yeah. that there have been multiple times where I'll interview a band and they'll say yeah we couldn't use the main room because some millionaire has a guitar rock band and they were recording there and they're like can you believe that and I'm like I would assume that guy paid all their bills for the year mm-hmm. so yeah I can totally believe it because it's a business you know yeah. um, the live shows are starting to get more energized like I've seen y'all probably three times and I would say the last three times there's a lot more energy than there was earlier on I mean y'all have a weird kind of intimacy with the crowd like y'all, y'all yeah, I don't mean it weird but you just it's strange because being a three piece you can either be this like very bombastic bright light you know kind of entity or you can have it where the crowd is right there and 
I've noticed the crowd is right there, like with y'all. Mm-hmm. Was that always the goal? Like, was it like when y'all weren't doing the three piece? Was it harder to have that kind of back and forth with an audience? It was harder only because um, it was harder to connect songs on stage. Let's say, and that's something we do a lot now. Um, you know, we have a weird chemistry with the audience because some of our songs. You know, I'm a big fan of Built to Spill, and you know, a lot of their songs connect. And, yeah. uh, you know, I try and do that when I can. I'm always looking for ways to connect songs together, you know, by doing little interludes or just mashing two songs into one song. Yeah. Saying it's one song. But, you know, we try to carry that over to our live shows as well. And, um, you know, whether we're like having little, uh, you know, feedback loops that continue into the next song, you know, there isn't a lot of banter on the microphone, you know, for me. And, you know, unfortunately, I'm the only one in the three-piece situation that has a microphone. Um, but, yeah, I, I, we're there to play music, you know, so I feel like if we can, yeah, just get that accomplished in the best way possible, I mean, I don't know what else there is I to mean, do. we should try doing extra things, and they just seem to be getting in the way. And yeah, I think anything extra other than that. You just only feels, have a limited amount of energy and, and mental yeah. space to think about stuff, it kind of seems like if you're focusing on, I mean, I think it's great that people can do multitask, but at some point we just have to realize that we, you know, yeah. not really good at faking it anymore, and we just need to, you know. Not good at faking it, and maybe, you know, if you think our shows have become more energized, you know, that's been a push for us to be louder. Yeah. And, and also to just... You know, try to get into it and not really yeah. care about it. I don't want to be like are. a quote machine, but there's also like a Kevin Shields quote that I really like about, uh, you know, he always imagined his music to be like the Ramones coming on the radio. You know, a Ramones song is just like, you turn it on, it goes, and you turn it off. You yeah. Know, it's just like, there's no like interlude of like, let's set up the song. Sure. And let's bring it down. It's just like, oh. Well, it yeah. seems smart because y'all start strong. There's some artists I'll see. I'm not going to say. I saw a touring artist and somebody from the label said, hey, how was the show? And I said, I left after three songs. And they're like, why? I was like, well, the first three songs were boring as hell. And I was like, maybe this doesn't get better. I don't have the energy to find out. So fuck it, I'm leaving. And they're like, oh, well, they're doing this thing. I was like, yeah, they're not that band. You need to tell them to stop doing that thing. You need to wow me in the first... 10 minutes or fuck off because I mean what am I there for I, I'm not there to get soaked with notes and especially if you're an indie rock man you're doing this slow droney shit like it's just not so I mean it, it was a concentrated effort in other words for y'all to like go from go into that make it more definitely yeah and I think you know Amara's experience with working um, so many years at music venues and doing booking and stuff you know and myself always going to shows with her, you, you know, has really, I've, we've seen a lot of set lists and how bands present their songs, and I think, you know, there's different approaches, mm-hmm. you know, some people like to put, like, the introductory song, you know, to not scare away, to the, not scare away the crowd. Yeah, and sometimes if you're opening for a certain type of band, you might not want to scare them, so you might, like, yeah. want to play, I've heard, like, door 
people tell, say, you know, I've asked them, like, what do you notice work doesn't? Sometimes they'll say, like, oh, if you start out too bad, but sometimes it's better to just scare off the people already and get scared and just get right into it. Right, right. right. You know, other times it's like, oh, we got to let you to open with this big band, but they are really quiet, and I don't know why we're on this bill. Right. So you might just have to, like... Sure, and all that is a factor, for sure. I mean, there's... I mean, it's weird to speak ill of the Dell, but sound... Dead, but Soundgarden had a history of bringing way better bands than them as their direct support. They brought Reverend Horton Heat on the Liquor in the Front Tour. They brought Rocket from the Crypt. And they brought Nine Inch Nails. Those are the three tours I saw all three times. I About 10 minutes in their set, I'm like, yeah, I don't need to hear Black Hole Sun Live. I'm good. I'm gonna go. <laughs> That's you know? funny because the last time I think Nine Inch Nails came to Austin, I actually went to it. It was at Circuit of the Americas, which is a weird place to see a show, but Soundgarden opened for them. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I, that's I walked up to the show hearing Black Hole Sun, and it was their last song, and I was like, well, well that was that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of this thing where I think that all that exists, where you're not supposed to blow someone off the stage. The flip side is, if you're, you know, like you, I, I would assume every band gets that one band where they're like, their dicks to backstage and they're like hey you know we're gonna open that slow one yeah let's open like let's just punch it in the face the whole time so yeah. I I don't know I, I would assume Soundgarden knew that these bands were good <laughs> I mean when they played with Rock from the Crypt they were like 40 minutes into their set and somebody was still yelling Rock from the Crypt this guy's have a Grammy how horrible must this be for them right now you know so well that's cool yeah that's it that's all I had I appreciate y'all taking the time. Yeah, Yeah, no problem. Self-Release Songs is produced by David Garrick and Closed Captioned. It can be streamed at Anchor as well as the Anchor app. It can be supported there as well. You can subscribe... And you can also stream it at closedcap.com.